All right, I want you to notice, and we're going to start in verse 1. I want to point out some things to you here in Romans chapter 4. I want you to notice all the questions that Paul is asking here, okay? Because understand, he's writing a letter, but he's asking questions, all right? And what's the point of this, all right? Often when I'm maybe teaching a lesson, occasionally, you know, during Sunday school, I'll like throw out a question, okay? Now, why do I throw these questions out there? I do this trying to get people to think, all right? I want you to think of some stuff here. And that's what uh, the Apostle Paul's doing. Now, for us to fully understand uh, why he's asking these questions, you know, it's important that we see what's going on in the first three chapters, okay? In chapter one, we see him where we talk, where he starts talking about reprobates. I mean, some of the most wicked people ever, people that are reprobate. God's given them over to reprobate mind. These people are without hope. But then he gets into chapter two, and he's like, you know what? Maybe not all of you are reprobates, but you know what? And we see this in chapter three, too. You've all are sinners, okay? Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you all are sinners and you all need saved. Okay, And that salvation, it doesn't come by the works of the law, but it becomes by faith in Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 4, when he gets to chapter 4, he wants to try to show them how, you know what, this is how it's always been. Nothing's really changed. Because unfortunately, many people had this idea that salvation was somehow by the works of the law. And that's why in Romans 3.23, one verse everybody knows in Romans, he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's telling them, hey, everyone's a sinner. Well, so then how do we get saved? Well, it's not through the law. Okay, and it's not through the law, but they're like, well, wait, does that mean the law is no good? Well, he teaches in chapter 3, hey, no, we're actually establishing the law by this message that we preach. When we admit we're sinners, do you realize what we're saying? We're saying that that Old Testament law is good. But we're saying we're bad and we're sinners and we need a savior. And the truth is, that's the way it's always been when it came to salvation. And so what does he do? He's here in chapter four. He wants him to start thinking about one of the greatest men that ever lived. One of the one man that, you know, um, you know, obviously all the Jews respected. And in this in Romans here, there was Jews and Gentiles, I believe he's writing to here. But listen to what he says in verse one says, what shall we say then? that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh has found. All right? So here's the first question he asks. You know, what did Abraham find? What was it that he got? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. So if Abraham got saved because he was such a great guy, well then wouldn't he have a reason to glory? Wouldn't he have something to brag about? But then it says in verse 3, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. All right. What does the scripture say about Abraham? What does the Old Testament? So he's writing this to him and he answers the question really, really quick. He said, you know, what does the Bible say about Abraham? Well, it says way back in Genesis, back when God promised, told Abraham that he was going to multiply his seed as the stars of heaven. Abraham believed God when God told him that, even though he was, I believe, 75 years old at the time. Abraham believed that. And back in Genesis, it says God accounted it unto him for righteousness. God credited him for righteousness or he imputed righteousness to him just because he believed God. That that was it. And notice what it says in verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Somebody who's working for their salvation, they're not getting grace, they're getting debt. Okay, if I go when I, if I go and I work and I do a job for you, then you owe me a wage, don't you? 
You owe, you owe, you owe me something. Alright? You're not being gracious to me. If you were to just come and hand me a hundred dollars for no reason, that's being gracious. But if I go and I, you know, I do all this work around your house and you give it to me, you're giving it to me out of debt. Well, salvation we see in the Bible is very, very clearly a free gift, isn't it? And it turns out Abraham's salvation, it was a free gift. He didn't work for it. He was accounted righteousness just for believing God. That was all, that was all he did. And then so verse five, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The person who is not working for their salvation, unlike most people in the world today, most people we talk to when they're out souling, when we ask them, what do you think a person's got to do to go to heaven? What do they do? They talk about their works. I mean, 99% of the time, you got to be good. You got to go to church. You can't kill anybody. They name off all these things. They name off all these works. And then we've got to go on and we've got to explain to them, hey, salvation is not of works. It's a free gift. And we go through the plan of salvation to try to teach them that because people are trying to work their way to heaven. And if they're working, they haven't got grace. Yeah, they might sing the song Amazing Grace. They might know that song, but they obviously don't understand it if they're working for their salvation. It's not, it's not those who work. It's those who have faith. It says it right there. He, and it's not the good ones. It says he justifieth the ungodly. Okay, now what's an ungodly person? That's somebody who's got some sins. That's somebody who's got some problems. But the Bible says that God takes that faith and he counts it for righteousness. And it turns out it wasn't just Abraham God did that with. In verse 6, it says, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Okay, What are our sins covered by? The blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, So uh, notice though, he uses that word imputed. Now, we don't use the word imputed a lot in our English language today, but what I want to talk about today is the importance of understanding imputed righteousness. Well, that word imputed means, it basically means we're getting credited for righteousness. In other words, you and I, we, when we stand before God one day, we're not going to be judged by our works. We're going to be judged by the works of Jesus Christ. When God looks at us as saved people today, those of us who are of faith, God does not see our righteousness. Thank God for that because the Bible says they're filthy rags. You know what he sees? He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? Remember how there was darkness over the face of the earth and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know why that happened? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. When Jesus hung there on that cross, God couldn't even look at his own son. You know what was happening right there? Jesus was being imputed our sins. And that right there, it shows us what God thinks about our sin. God can't even look at it. Notice what, there's going to be some, uh, one of these days in the future, they're going to stand before God on judgment day, and they're going to say, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Why didn't he know them? Why wasn't he paying attention to them? You know Why? Because all he could see was their works and their works are filthy rags and the Holy God's not going to look at those things. But there's going to be some of us who, let's just admit it, we're not really much better than any of them. 
In many cases, we might even be worse than some of them, but yet God sees us as righteousness. What's the difference? We have been imputed the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jack Hiles put it this way. I love this statement he made. He said, if we will put our faith in Jesus Christ, God will see that faith, count it for righteousness, transferring all our sins on Jesus and imputing his righteousness to us. What that means is the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God sees Jesus with your sins and he sees you with his goodness. Now, I don't know about you, but that excites me right there. And I like how he put that. And you know what? That is exactly what Romans chapter four teaches us that we have been credited with the righteousness of Christ and we got it without works. It's something that his righteousness has been put on our account and our sin debt was put on his account and he paid that debt for us when he died on the cross. When he took that beating on the cross, when he was nailed to that cross, when he suffered and then he died and he went and he tasted death for every man when his soul was in hell, as the Bible teaches in the book of Acts and his Psalms, the book of Psalms prophesied, that was Jesus taking our punishment for us. And then as a result of that today, people are able to have salvation, to be able to know they're going to heaven and to one day be able to stand before God righteous and notice that it is 100% because of the work of Jesus Christ and not our works. Look at what it says in verse 9. He says, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision, referring to Jews or Gentiles. He says, For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision? Or an uncircumcision. He's got the question again. Hey, when did Abraham get accounted for righteousness? Some people like to think it was when he went to offer up his son Isaac. But no, it wasn't then. He said, he's asking them a question. Hey, you all know the Bible. You know the Old Testament. When did Abraham get, was, was a, a righteousness accounted to him? Was it in uncircumcision or uncircumcision? He wasn't circumcised until Isaac was born. And so we see that he actually got saved before that, years before he was circumcised, proving that Abraham was not saved by the works of the law. Abraham did not get saved by works. Abraham got saved by faith. And you know what? He got saved by grace through faith. What did Abraham do to deserve that salvation? All he did was believe God. That was it. He hadn't offered up his son Isaac yet. He hadn't done those things. He simply had faith. He didn't have any works yet. But yet, God, he's asked that question. And he says in there, how is it reckoned? He says, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that the righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Abraham is the father of those of us who believe. You know what? We can call Abraham our father today. Okay? When I was a kid, we sang the song all the time in junior church and Sunday school, you know, Father Abraham had many sons. We, we sang that all the time. I ended up was being taught later that wasn't biblical, that that's just the Jews. 
Then later I learned that no, actually that is biblical. You know, actually, that's right there in Romans chapter 4. That you know what? We are children of Abraham. And the truth is, we're going to see here, you know, if somebody's a child of Abraham physically, turns out that doesn't even matter. You know, big whoop. Who cares? I remember as a little kid, all right, as a little kid, we lived in Spring Valley, so I couldn't have been any older than seven. We were having family devotion, and I remember Dad was reading that passage of Scripture, talking about, you know, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the world be blessed. And I was taught that that was referring to the descendants of Abraham. And I remember asking my dad if he thought that it was possible that Abraham was like our great-great-great-great-grandfather. Because I was like, we're blessed. I mean, that was what I thought. I thought, man, we're blessed. We must be related to Abraham. He must be our great, great, great. That was what I thought as a little kid. Well, and then I was taught, well, no, you know, we are actually from Japheth. You know, we're Gentiles. And I was like, oh. And I remember thinking, how did we get all these blessings? You know, that was how, that's how I felt as a little kid. I eventually learned that, you know what? Yeah, we are children of Abraham. But it turns out it doesn't matter if it's a physical lineage. It's a spiritual thing. And you know what? We, I, I knew as a seven-year-old kid that we had the blessing of Abraham. Unfortunately, I got, you know, taught some other things, but, you know, I came back around, (laughs) came back around and I thank God for that. And sadly, so many Baptists are just dead wrong on this. And it's a sad thing that they don't see this. And so look what it says in verse 13 for the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay. That heir, that those promises God gave to Abraham, they weren't for the Jews. How many saw the foolishness that went on this week in Jerusalem? You know, the United States moved the capital there. I was watching one of these live stream things of it, and all these people are commenting on there. We're seeing prophecy unfold right before our eyes. I saw that come on there. I don't know how many times. Finally, I got sick of it, and I left a comment on there. I was like, "Well, what are you morons?" Or I don't remember how I put it exactly. Please tell me which prophecy. In the Bible shows America moving its embassy to Jerusalem. Somebody please show me where that's at in the Bible. Nobody responded to me. Nobody answered that. You know, nobody can show that. They all just parrot things. And then they have all these people. They have these preachers up there. They have John Hagee there. They have that Robert Jeffers there. And they're all saying these things. They're all claiming these promises of Abraham and God's fulfilling this prophecy. It was just a bunch of foolishness. Alright? And if any of you think something prophetic's going on because, you know, because of that, what happened this week. Nothing prophetic was going on. Alright? Everybody was so desperate for something to happen on the 70th anniversary of Israel becoming a nation. You know, and they'll just they'll take whatever. And you know, Trump did what he did. He scored a whole bunch of points of the evangelicals. But you know what? It's got to be just killing all these dispensational weirdos that nothing happened this week. The rapture didn't come this week. You know, nothing. They're trying to make it like that was something. But nobody can show me in the Bible where the United States moving their embassy to Jerusalem is a fulfillment of any prophecy. That's just foolishness. But they were, I'm listening to them claim all these promises and they're giving it to these long-bearded people who say they descend from Abraham. When the Bible says that the heirs are not those who are of the law, but those who are of, have the righteousness of faith. They don't have any faith. They don't believe on Jesus Christ. And look at this in verse 14. For if they which are of the law be heirs... Faith is made void. Boy, these Baptists better hope they're not right about what they're saying about the Jews. Because then their faith is made void. Now, they, they don't ever... They, it's, Baptists avoid chapter 4 like the plague of Romans. It says, And the promise made of none effect... 
because the law worketh wrath. That's why the Jews are under God's wrath right now, because they're going to try to find righteousness by the law and they're failing and they're under the wrath of God. But you know what? We today, we have not been appointed under wrath, but to obtain salvation. You know why? Because we got imputed righteousness. How did we get it? By faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not that only which is of the law, but to that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. We see that even though if somebody is of Abraham physically, they're okay as long as they have faith, like we do. As long as they trust in Christ, like we do. We're not going to take time to go through the rest of that chapter. So we do, you know, so... We see this imputed righteousness. And the reason this is so important that we understand this is this doctrine, it is what reminds us of who we really are. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6. This is so important that we remember this. And unfortunately, I'm afraid many religious people, we're forgetting these truths. These things are not talked about. You don't hear a lot of preaching about imputed righteousness in most fundamental Baptist churches today because they'd have to go to Romans chapter 4. And Romans 4 just destroys too many of their pet doctrines. Look what it says. It says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. This is Paul talking here. One who was a Jew. One who was of the tribe of Benjamin. One who was very zealous about the law. One who... If it came, when it came to working for their salvation, had been doing better than most people. But he said, you know, God forbid that I would glory on that. God forbid that I would ever brag about the life that I live and the rules that I've kept. And Paul said, you know, the, in, in Christ Jesus, circumcision, avail, it doesn't avail anything. Or uncircumcision. It's that new creature. And that new creature is one whose sins are not imputed unto them. That one who has been imputed righteousness. We'll see more scriptures on that in a little bit. But Titus chapter 3. Look at Titus chapter 3 at what it says. This doctrine, it reminds us that we, all we are, are sinners saved by grace. It says in Titus 3, 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers, lusts, and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Guess what? It took a lot of grace for God to save you. Alright? Now you just stop and chew on that for a little bit. It took a lot of grace for you to get saved. Okay? Parents, have you ever told your kids, you know, you, you know you're trying my patience. You know, you're lucky I'm a patient, you know, you're lucky I'm a patient person. You luck, you're lucky I'm merciful. You're lucky I've got a whole bunch of love. What are you saying? You're saying, kids, you really pushed it. I mean, in reality, I should beat the fire out of you right now, but I'm being nice. I'm not going to do it. You know what? That's what God's saying about us. He shed his mercy on us abundantly. It took a lot of grace to save all of you in here. It wasn't an easy thing to get any of you saved. Okay, Jesus had it on the cross. So I got saved easy, you know. You know, I believed on Christ. You know, you came, you know, knocked on my door, showed me how to get saved. I believed the message. You know, yeah, that salvation. Yeah, it was easy for you to get saved, but it was hard for Jesus Christ. 
What he did was very, very difficult. What you did was easy. Very easy. He did all the work. And he, it took a lot of grace to save us. And so in verse 8, or in verse 7, it says that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Brother Tommy, you talk about doing works an awful lot. For, you, know, you say we're not saved by works, but yet you're always talking about works. You're always bringing up sins. You're always pounding on us for all these things that we should be doing and things we shouldn't be doing. Yeah, you know why? Because the Bible says that we need to constantly affirm that they which have believed in God. All right, Those of you who are saved, those of you who are believers, that you might be careful to maintain good works. These are good and profitable unto men. Does it say good and profitable for your salvation? No, these are good for everybody else. Hey, as a church, we want to be a blessing, don't we? We want to be a blessing to other people. We want to be a blessing to this community. Well, you know what? We can't do that if we're not doing any good works. Okay? And the good works that we promote around here, these aren't things that we promote to try to get you into heaven. That we, we do these things so you will be a better citizen. So you will be a better Christian. So you can be a better soul winner. So you will be happier. That's why we do all these things. But he said in that same passage, hey, you got saved, or your salvation was not by your works of righteousness. It was by His mercy. He shed that abundantly on you. Look at what it says in John chapter 1 and verse 11. See, we are children of God, not by our works, but by His work. It says, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, this passage right here, this one often gets the Calvinists mixed up. Okay, the, uh, you know they think that because we didn't do anything to get saved, that means God just came and handpicked us. There's a teaching out there that God chooses who gets saved and who doesn't. So, if you're saved, if you're one of the elect, it has nothing to do with anything you've done. It doesn't matter that you believed. If you believed, it's because God wanted you to believe. And those who don't believe, it's because God didn't want them to believe. And we see in this passage, they'll take these verses here and they'll kind of read into them. You know, to them gave He power. God gave you repentance. God gave you faith. God gave you belief. That's what it's saying. You know, when it's saying to them gave you power to become the sons of God. But when the Bible talks about things like adoption, when it talks about how Jesus did all the work, it's just teaching us that we don't have anything to boast about. Okay, we've been singing the song "I'm Adopted." Okay, Calvinists like to take that. You know, and you know who picks the the kid? You know, the parents or the kid? You know, it's the parents. They choose. The kid has no choice in the matter. You know, but understand if you go and you read all these passages, we don't have time to go to all of them. And you look at the context of everything. He's trying to teach in all those examples that you didn't get saved by your works. You didn't do anything to earn your salvation. You received a free gift by faith. And notice it says, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. We do have the choice to believe or not to believe. We do have the choice to accept or reject. A gift cannot be forced on anyone. Okay? A gift, and if I do, if I receive a gift, 
Uh, let's say somebody gives me the gift of a million dollars. I did nothing for it. I didn't earn it. Somebody gave me the gift of a million dollars. And let's say I receive it and somebody else rejects it. Now, I don't know why anybody would reject it, but I don't know why anybody would reject salvation. Okay? Because I accepted it and somebody else didn't, do I now have a reason to boast? No. I didn't earn it. It was a free gift. It was offered to me. It was offered to them. The difference is one received it, one didn't. There's no boasting there. And the truth is, you know, they, they, they take these passages and without looking at context, they get all these mixed up ideas. But we see that we are today. We are children of God by his work, not our work. And, you know, many people today, they will brag. And I'm, I'm not down on you if you do this. All right. We were talking about this a little bit in Sunday school, you know, different uh, nations and things that you're from. All right. You know, if you've got like a German heritage or a. English heritage or whatever, you know, people like to, you know, have their national pride and all that stuff. You know, the Scottish people want to wear skirts, you know, once a year, or, you know, for things like that. You know, if, if you do that stuff, I'm not down on you for that. But I mean, really, when you stop and think about it, we don't pick who we're born in, right? So, I mean, how do we get to brag about where we descend from? What, what did you do to accomplish? You, you came into the world. You did nothing but take your breath, you know, first breath and continue breathing. All right. I mean, you did. There, there's, there's nothing we can brag about on that. And it's the same thing when it comes to being the ch- a child of God. There's nothing we can brag about with it. We didn't we didn't do anything except believe on Christ. That's it. We received a gift that was offered to everybody. Boasting is excluded. And so this doctrine of imputed righteousness, it reminds us of who we really are. We're a nothing that God just happened to love. And we are, we are a nothing, but God offered us to get to salvation just like He did to the rest of the world and all we did was accept it. So this doctrine, it will also keep us humble. It will keep us from thinking that we're better than other people. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virt- or, um, virtue, uh, lost my spot. And to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. See, this is what happens. We often. As a Christian, we, you know, we quit growing, we quit learning, we, it's, it's possible you can even get involved in some false doctrine and we forget that we were purged from our old sins. What does that mean? You know, they were taken from us. Those sins were removed from us. We didn't remove our sins. Jesus removed our sins for us. He cleansed us with his, cleansed us with his blood. Where do we get to brag in that situation? And we do. We've got a lot of Christians today, even a lot of preachers, they like to get up and brag about how much they've changed. They like to, you know, they get all over people who haven't changed as much as they have, and they try to make people doubt their salvation because they're not as good as they are. These people are blind. They can't see it far off. They forgot that they were purged from their old sins. They forgot they got saved, not by their works, but by the work of Jesus Christ. And sometimes people get led into heresy about salvation. Galatians chapter 3. Turn over there. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only what I learn of you. 
Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. How did you get the Holy Ghost? Did you get it from the works of the law? Tell me what good thing you did that caused you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. If you did any works and it wasn't a gift, what did you do? Who bewitched you? Who got in your head? What church did you start going to that made you think that you're on your way to heaven because of some work you've done? Paul's like, I taught you the truth. I taught you the gospel. I taught you that you were nothing. I taught you that salvation was a free gift. Where did you get this? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect through the flesh? Okay, you got started right, but hey, are you perfect now because of the flesh? Hey, let's just be honest. Since you got saved, did you repent of all your sins? Or do you still have some sins you're carrying around? You know, are you still... Are, are, I mean, are you just perfect now and without sin? I hope you don't say yes. I, I, you know, the truth is, he's like, no, you still, you still have some sins. Have you, yet, have you suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain, he that ministereth unto you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith, even as Abraham believed God. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. We see that again. Abraham didn't get saved that way. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And if you're of faith, you're children of Abraham. And so many people, when they get saved, they often get led into heresy. They get in a bad church. Many saved people think if you don't live up to your, if you're not living up to their standard of living, you're not saved. That person has been bewitched if they're saved at all. Any preacher who gets up and talks about his changed life and compares other people to him to prove whether they're saved or not, that person is either lost or he is bewitched. Alright? And that's not good. But this teaching, it will keep our salvation doctrine straight and it will keep us motivated to win souls. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's amazing how people will take verse 17 and they will say, you know, we become a new, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. And then what do they do? They'll spend the next 45 minute message talking about themselves. And if they would just read the very next sentence, it says all things have become new. Verse 18 says, and all things are of God. It sounds like these new things aren't about us. It's about God and what He did. So you know what? Maybe these bozos should stop talking about themselves for the next 45 minutes after they read that verse and start talking about God for the next 45 minutes. Because it says all things become new and then they talk about their things. But it says in verse 18, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So we see that if we understand this doctrine of imputed righteousness, we get the fact that, you know what? I'm not being credited 
for my sins. Jesus got the credit for that and he paid for that. And I now have his righteousness. How did I get that? Because Jesus reconciled me to God through his death on the cross. And now he has given me the ministry of reconciliation. Well, what is that? You know what? I've never in my life heard one of these camp meeting preachers who just butcher this passage. I've never in my life heard them get up and read this passage and then preach a message about soul winning. You know what they do? They read just that one verse and then they'll preach a message bashing soul winning and talking about how it doesn't work. What are you talking about? Because in soul winning, what is it that we do? We're trying to perform the ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors for Christ. You know what we're doing? We're going and telling people, we're telling people that they're sinners. We're telling them that Jesus paid for their sins. We're telling them that if they will believe on him and trust in his righteousness without their works, that they will be saved. If they will rely on his work and stop relying on their works, they will be saved. And that is exactly what happens when these people, when we do, we give them the gospel and they pray, they get saved. And then what do, what do the camp meeting preachers say? I haven't seen them in church. You know, they never show up to church. You're going to talk about their works? Really? You're going to talk about their works? Hey, the Bible says all things have become new. Yeah, and it also says in the very next sentence, all things are of God. You're t- and you want to keep talking about their works? He says he's not imputing their trespasses unto them. But you're saying because they haven't changed their life, they're still in their sin. You know what they're doing? They're still imputing their trespasses unto them. Even though they've had faith in Jesus Christ. Do you not realize how, I mean, just how wicked the preaching is? Some of the most wicked preaching you'll ever hear is out of 2 Corinthians 5.17 because these camp meeting preachers are too lazy to preach more than one verse at a time. Because they're too lazy to actually look at the context of things and they preach this garbage. And then there's these young preachers out there. They hear this stuff. They hear all these, you know, hillbillies, amen, and whooping and hollering and running the auditorium. And they think, well, man, that must be right. And they go back home and they, they're preaching in their church. And I've seen some of these northern boys, they go hang out down there and they're preaching in their church with a southern accent. You know, it's like, you know, that's, it's like, where did you get that all of a sudden? I knew a guy that did that. He moved down south, and I understand you can pick up an accent after, but it takes a while. He hadn't been down there a year, and he was preaching with a southern accent. And this guy, well, he already knew he was a moron, but that just proved he was a moron after that. I've got nothing against southern accents, all right? I've got nothing against southern accents, but, you know, it needs to be real, all right? If you got one, it's got to be real. And I say all the time, you know, to be a camp meeting preacher, there's two qualifications for being a camp meeting preacher. A southern accent and a fat gut. That's all you got to have. And you qualify as a camp meeting preacher. And I guess too, and, and a whole lot of heresy. And they've got that. But understand, we, we want to get people in church. We want to teach them you know, to maintain good works. They're good and profitable to men. But understand, the people that we reach out soul winning, if they don't get in church, if they don't do the good works that we teach here, they will not be profitable to man, but they will be saved. They will be reconciled to God. And that is what we've been called to do. We are ambassadors. And many people today, because they don't understand this doctrine, they're not, they don't go out soul winning. You know why? Because these, we have these kingdom builders. They call themselves pastors trying to build these palaces, trying to build these massive cathedrals, trying to have these big crowds so they can look good. 
And you know what? Soul winning is not the greatest thing to get people into the church. You know, we could get a lot more people in the church if for our picnic that we have coming up, if I put an ad in the paper and said we have bounce houses coming, you know, bounce houses and snow cones and all these things and, you know, a magician and jugglers and we, we, we'd get a whole bunch of people come for that. But does anybody get saved from bounce houses and jugglers and magicians and things like that? You know, no. If we had a rock concert, we'd get a lot more people in here. And, and that's and they're trying all these things to get the crowds in. And then they scoff at the one thing that we've been called to do. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And where does that come from? It doesn't come from the works of the law. It comes by the hearing of faith. And when they get that, God does not impute their trespasses unto them. You know what that means? That those all things, it's all things are of God. In other words, now the old things become new. Hey, I have Jesus' righteousness. I'm on my way to heaven. He's not imputing my trespasses unto me. I know that I'm going to heaven. That's what's new. That's what's become new. That is what the new creature is. But sadly, this type of thing is not being preached in most Baptist churches today. And we wonder why there's all the heresy going on in churches. But lastly, understanding this doctrine, it will help us realize what we are capable of doing. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. See, many think they can't do anything for God because of their flaws. We often do. They think, oh, you know, I can't, you know, I, I'm not good at this. I've got this problem. I made this mistake in the past. But wait a minute. Did you forget? Those aren't being imputed unto you. In other words, God's not holding those things against you. He's removed your sin from you. Don't hold your past, don't use your past sin as an excuse not to do something for God. He's not imputing that trespass unto you. Why are you imputing it unto yourself? Why are you holding yourself back to that? You know what it is? It's an excuse. It's an excuse to be lazy. Understand, your sins have been removed. Therefore, you're okay. He's not imputing your trespasses. God and God can still use us. In fact, God can use us in a great way. You know why? Because we have His righteousness. We have His righteousness. And when we fail, it's because we're in the flesh and we have no excuse. So the earthly goal, okay? So the... Obviously, the main purpose of imputed righteousness is to get us into heaven. Alright? Understand, that's the main thing. But, turn over to James chapter 2, verse 21 real quick. I'll, I'll cover this. There's also an earthly goal, I believe, that God wants. It says in James 2.21, it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, as he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Now, people get very confused with this passage. They think, well, man, that contradicts. It's saying here he was justified by works. But we, I just showed you in Romans and Galatians where it says he wasn't justified by works. What's the difference here? We see... But notice when it says, and the scripture was fulfilled, alright, that, um, or, and the scripture was filled with saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. It's very clear from the other passages we read that Abraham got saved years and years before he offered up his son, Isaac, upon the altar. He was already saved without works. However, 
The main re- the reason that Abraham is called the father of those who are of faith, it's not just because he got saved, but it was because of the fact that after his salvation, he probably showed the most faith of anybody ever. He actually had some works. And what was that work? It was him being willing to offer up his son Isaac on the altar. And you all see that when he, he was imputed that righteousness freely by grace, ultimately ended up, it ended up producing a great work. And you know what? God wants to produce works in our life. God wants us to do great works. But obviously not everybody does that. That's what, you know, there were people before Abraham that had faith. Why aren't they the father of those who had faith? You know why? Because they had enough faith to get saved. All right. But they didn't produce worse as good as Abraham did. Abraham's were so good that God named all those who are of faith children of Abraham. And understand, God does want us in our life who have been credited that righteousness. He wants us to use that to go and do great things for him. That's what he, that, and that's how his, that is perfected. That's how it is completed. We shouldn't waste that. You and I today who are saved, we are walking around with imputed righteousness. We have been credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have no excuse not to do something great for God. We don't have to sit around and think, you know what? I've blown it. I've messed up. I can never do anything. No, we have imputed righteousness. Go do something for God. You know, get involved. Go be an ambassador for Christ. Get involved in that ministry of reconciliation. You know, reconcile sinners to God. Do what He has told us to do. Have some faith. Believe God. Do some works. Why? Because we've got no excuse not to. We, you know, there's a lot of people today who physically there's a lot of things they can't do because they've, you know, maybe they have messed themselves up physically, or they've messed themselves up legally. They're, they're, you know, they're in prison. They haven't got that. They haven't got that freedom. But you know what? We, that for us today as Christians, there is no excuse for us not to be used of God because of sins. He has forgiven us those. Jesus paid for those. He has credited us with His righteousness. Therefore, the sky's the limit on what we should be able to do for God. We ought to be able to do the works of Abraham. We ought to be able to do great things. And that's what James 2 is talking about. Because in James 2, it mentions, you know, what is the profit if you have faith and you don't have works? What does it profit other people? Just like we've been reading in Titus. If we don't have works, we're not profiting anybody else. And if you're saved today, you have faith. But if you're not doing any works, how are you helping anybody else? How are you, how are you winning people? You're not going to win people to Christ unless you have works, unless you're actually going out, unless you're actually trying to preach the gospel. And there's no excuse for you not to do that. You're right. You have Jesus' righteousness today if you're saved. So you know what? Let's do something with it. Let's go ahead and accomplish something great for God. We have no reason not to. We have His righteousness. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your grace, for Your mercy that You shed in us abundantly. Dear God, I pray that You'll cause this doctrine, this teaching, Lord, to not lift us up with pride. Lord, there's no way it should do that, but help it to humble us but then at the same time motivate us, understanding what we are capable of doing because of what You have already done through us. And I pray that You will help us to uh, be those ambassadors that You called us to be. Help us reconcile sinners to God. And Lord, I pray that You will help us 
to have works in our life. I pray you'll help us to be like Abraham and do great things so we can be a great blessing to those around us. And in your name we pray. Amen.